study to the first of a series of three shiurim on communicating with your children. The shiurim are designed particularly for adolescent children, children between the ages of 13 and 19. Children who are not quite children anymore, but not quite adults. This definition of adolescence is not mine, it belongs to the Torah. There's a halacha that children under 13 years old aren't punished for any averis that they do. Everybody knows a cotton is not a bar ancient. Adults over 20 are punished for everything they do. Between the ages of 13 and 20, a person is punished for averis that he does Bidei Bezdin, Bezdin punishes, but Hashem doesn't. Exactly during the teenage years, between 13 and 19 inclusive, a child has the halacha of half child and half adult. And that's because that's exactly what he is. If you want a marshal for what an adolescent is, if anything, it's like the borrowed of Mitzrayim, where you have fire and water working in tandem together. You have childhood and adulthood pulling and pushing on each other, a mature child and an immature adult. By the time he's an adult, when he's over 20, let's say 25, he's totally mature and capable of emancipating himself from his parents. When he's a little kid, he's totally dependent upon his parents. And during the ages between 13 and 19, that's when a child is, like we say, nishtahin nishtaher. And therefore, it's the most difficult period in a person's life. The Ibn Ezra in Sefer Omois says, when the Pasuk, when the Navi says, a Navua, that I'm going to make a young man, your Bacharim, into Nazirim, the Ibn Ezra says, what's the big Chiddush that a Bachar should be a Nazir? And he says, it's a big Chiddush. Because an adult should be a Nazir is no big deal. Because adults are adults. A child even to be a Nazir, a child is a child. But then an adolescent, a bocher, should be a nazir is a very big chiddush. Because bocherim naturally have a great and unusual taiva for ulam hazeh, and that they should give it up and become a nazir is a special chiddush of the navi. And so sometimes these adolescents can drive us parents batty. We pull the hair out of our heads and try to figure, is this a child or is it an adult? The problem is the answer is not a child or not be adult. The answer is C, none of the above. And therefore it behooves us, and it's very important, of utmost necessity for us to study what this Bria is and to try to figure out how we, as adults, can go into their world because it is a separate world and try to communicate with them. The first thing we have to understand, and Be'ezus Hashem, this is the first of a series of three shiurim, I'm going to start off with the basics. We're going to go more and more into detail during the other two. Three separate shiurim. The first thing we have to understand is the society's effect on our adolescence today. Now, I'm sure you're all sitting in the audience thinking, yes, we live in a decadent, immoral society and certainly has a detrimental effect on our children. I'm not talking about that, although that's true as well. I'm talking about the way our children perceive their role in Yiddishkeit nowadays. And let me explain. 
when we were kids or when we were a little older, depending upon how old we are now, we know that our G'dayla Yisrael came to the shores of America and through great difficulty and through great mysterious nefesh and a lot of siyata dishmai, they planted Torah on this spiritual wasteland called America. People like Rabbi and Kotler came here and through all odds, through thick and thin and against all odds and adversity, was able to turn over an entire country and now we have America. When we were kids, we know it was so much harder to be a Jew, a from Jew in America than it is today. If you were a a bus and you worked in a store, it was so hard to keep your job if you didn't want to be a Shemesh Shabbos. If you ate kosher, there was no Avenue J to run and have a bite of a hamburger in kosher delight like there is nowadays. If you were a bucker in yeshiva, you know that your Rebbe got paid wages way below what he deserved and therefore very often we unfortunately got what we paid for. A yeshiva housed in a ramshackle hut constantly in need of repair with rebellion that really weren't the most choicest of those who we would have teaching our children, but it's the best that we could do. And nowadays we're adults and we say with all the confidence and pride in the world that now we've planted Torah in America, we have all the kosher food, we have marvelous citadels of Torah that are the yeshivas, we have the greatest rebellion, we have Gedolim in America. We've had, we've had people who grew up in America now that are big Russia yeshivas. And we tell our children now you have a shulchan aruch lefanecha, you have a, a set table in front of you, go reap the fruits that we planted. When the truth of the matter is that to be a child today in America is a million, million times harder than it was when we were children here in America. And it doesn't matter me, it doesn't matter if you're twice my age, to be a child, to be a teenager in America today is a million times more harder. It's not only because we live in a more immoral society. And to use a frame of reference, I, I, I went to yeshiva here in Chaim Berlin and one of my rebbeim told me, he was my 11th grade rebbe, in the name of, his, in the name of the Rosh Hashivas, Rabbi Yitzchak Kutner Zatzal, that Rav Hutner gave him advice regarding bringing up his kids. Now this man is about 30 years older than me now and we're talking about a previous generation to where we are today. He said the following. He told him, your son is going to see and encounter more tumor going to the corner grocery store to buy a Coke than your grandfather did all his life in his shtetl in Europe. Therefore, to rely on shielding your child from the tumor is not enough anymore. You have to prepare him for it and teach him to deal with it. Now that's fine, but when Rav Hutner said this approximately 30 years ago, you at least had to go to the corner grocery store to encounter all that tumor. Now the Sutton makes house calls. It's tumor to go. And you don't have to go anywhere, it comes to you. If you're walking down the street and you to catch a bus to go to yeshiva to have a seder, you have to close your eyes. And if you're sitting in your own home and if you have a newspaper or if you have a radio or if you go to yeshiva and you have a friend at home with a newspaper or a radio, be ready for an overwhelming assault of Tumah that our grandparents, their grandparents rather, were never able to encounter in all their life in going to the corner grocery store to buy a Coke. That's true. But there's something else over here. There's something much more subtle in it that all of our children are affected by. And this is the first and foremost thing that we have to understand. There's a weapon that the Sultan is using nowadays that he's never used before, certainly not with this intensity. And this weapon renders our traditional methods of protection for our children, namely teaching them Torah, 
useless. There's a word in the Sefer HaIkrim, and it goes like this. And it's such an amazing Chiddush that when Rabbi Moshe Feinstein saw this, and this is in writing, he shook his head to impossible. But then later in writing, he uses it himself. It's a tremendous Chiddush, but it comes from the Sefer HaIkrim. And it goes like this. When Moshe Rabbeinu was up on Harsinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him that your nation, your Am, is sitting there worshipping the eagle. He went down from the mountain, saw them worshipping the eagle, then broke the Luchas. Now the question is, why didn't he break the Luchas after Hashem told him that they're worshipping the eagle? Why did he have to go down? And you know the Sefer HaIkrim says? When Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that the Jews are worshipping the eagle, even though Moshe Rabbeinu believed it 100%, we're talking about Hashem speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. There was no more reliable source than Hashem, and no more Ne'em on Beisoy than Moshe Rabbeinu, who believed Hashem. He believed it a thousand percent. And when Hashem said something to Moshe Rabbeinu, it had an effect on him, believe me. But the effect that Hashem's words had on Moshe Rabbeinu was nothing compared to when Moshe Rabbeinu saw with his own eyes that picture of the Jews worshipping the eagle. And that just overcame him and overtook him. He couldn't take it and he slammed the luchas down and broke them. In other words, no matter how great a Talmud Moshe Rabbeinu was, and no matter how much of an effect the Dvar Hashem had on Moshe Rabbeinu, and whoever our Rabbeim are, Hashem is better, and whoever our Talmidim are, Moshe Rabbeinu is better. No matter how much the Dvar Hashem, a Dvar Torah had an effect on Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, Moshe Rabbeinu saw it, and the picture in front of him had a greater effect than the words of Hashem. So, such an emotional effect that he just had to slam the luchas to the floor. This is a tremendous Kiddush. No matter how, a dvarash at Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. But a picture, Re'iyah, has a much greater emotional effect. And what's happening today in society is that we're fighting the society, we're using Shmiyah, society's using Re'iyah. They sell products nowadays, not by explaining to people how, why the products are good, they sell products nowadays in the commercials, on television, or in any way you want, with a little flash of a picture. They pay people millions of dollars, and that's not an exaggeration, to try to figure out how to fit into a 30 second slot, the best combination of pictures and the best angles to affect the person's mind to be able to buy a product. Now if I gave you 30 seconds to convince me of anything, no matter what it is, you'd have a hard time. What can you do in 30 seconds? But these people are paying millions of dollars for 30 second slots and that means that they're getting their money's worth, otherwise they wouldn't constantly do it. And what's happening is, is that society is just shutting off the Shamia capacity of our children, the capacity to think and to analyze, and they're using instead Re'iya. They're using pictures, they're using sensory input. If we have any Mechanchen here, everybody knows that now is different than 20 or 30 years ago in that our children today have a much harder time articulating and analyzing thoughts and ideas. What they can do is express their feelings and their opinions so easily. I feel like this about this and I feel like this about that and everybody feels everything. But to articulate and analyze an idea, logic and thinking, Mechanchen say, Sai by the Yidin and Sai by the Goyim Lahavdil. Children nowadays have a much harder time. They're not used to it anymore. 
We were so happy, so happy when these records came out, these educational records and these educational books, where you have an Aleph that walks and talks, and you have a Bez that sings and dances to teach our children Aleph Bez. But now the Mechanchem is saying that that was the worst thing in the world for our children. Because what happens is that they're learning through sensory input, and when they get older and try to read a Shev so they're waiting for the, the Rav and Abayah to jump out and start doing a dance for them. And when that doesn't happen, they just have difficulty. Society is using Re'iyah and we're using Shmi'ah. They convince our children of what's right and what's wrong. They convince our children of what's normal and what's Meshuggah. Based upon pictures, they don't even have to describe or explain or express anything. They don't because there's nothing to describe. It's all sensory input. And this is what we're fighting. We're sitting down our children in the yeshiva and we're giving them tayr that's maybe lidei maisa, tayr that's the samachayim. But our opponent is the re'iyah, the sensory input. And if Moshe Rabbeinu hearing tayr from Hashem could not stand against the sense compared to the sensory input of Moshe Rabbeinu seeing something what could, we, what could we answer? And that's first and foremost. If we want to protect our children from society today, we have to fight through sensory input. Just explaining to them things is not, doesn't work anymore. Just teaching them Torah doesn't work anymore. And who am I? And I'm not, even, I'm not interested nor able nor... No. To, to minimize the effect of learning Torah on children. The fact is, more is needed. And what we have to do, first and foremost, we're gonna, I'm going to come back to it in a moment. We have to make sure that our children get the message, not only through explanation, through Vahigaratalavincha, but we have to make sure our children's sensory uh, nerves, their sensory input uh, vehicles are overloaded with what we have to tell them, at least then we'll be able to compete a little with society. Children today grow up well aware that their parents and most adults are really jealous of them. They're really makan of them. We live in a society that idolizes youth. We live in a society that caters to them. They're the biggest consumer market of everybody. And if they take a look at their parents, they have their 40, 50 year olds, mothers and grandmothers that are trying to look as young as possible, that are trying to dress as young as possible, and trying to act as young as possible. And their fathers, when their father sees, looks in the mirror and he sees the first white hair in his beard, and all of a sudden you hear in a house a scream from somebody in the bathroom, no, no accident happened, the father is sitting there and he found his first white hair. Bach says the reason why there's a prohibition of Loyilbash for a man to dye his hair is because a man is supposed to feel proud as he gets older and he gets more white hairs. A man is more dignified, more experienced, more choshev as he gets older. But that's not the attitude we have nowadays. We want young and dynamic and that's wonderful, young and dynamic. Except our children know that, that their parents are makana them. They know that their parents cater to them, not only psychologically. They are considered, we are giving them messages that they are superiors and we are inferiors because no matter what advantages and miles we have over them, they know that secretly we wish we were young again. 
So they know, believe me, they pick it up. They know that they, we look at them as superiors in a very important way. Besides that, we empower them. Then we give them so much control over their yeshivas. For instance, last year I know there was a certain yeshiva, a new yeshiva opened up out of town, it's not important where or what. A bunch of Bachrim came back from Eretz Yisrael and the, that yeshiva wanted to track them, those Talmidim. And the Talmidim came in and said, look Rosh Hashiva, this is the Masechta that we want to learn. We're a group of kids, we want to learn this Masechta. If not, we'll go, we'll go to Lakewood. The Shashiva wanted them enough, they said, okay, fine, we'll change the curriculum. I used to teach in Farakway where I live in a girls' high school, and I taught ninth grade Navi to the girls. My assignment as the ninth grade Navi teacher was to finish two Svarman Tanakh, Yeshua and Malachim Beis, by the end of the year. Now there are 50 weeks in a year, that's without summer vacation, without Pesach and Sukkot, and without Friday and Shabbos and Sunday. And there's approximately 50 Prokim in both these Svarim put together. So that's a tremendous amount. And I said, is this really what these girls need to cover all this ground? And you know what the principal told me? said, no, of course not. But that's what they want. And if we don't give it to them, they'll go to Brooklyn to school. And then what's going to be with the school? As opposed to the way it was a long time ago, I heard this from Reptuvia Goldstein's Olzayin Gesund, when he was a Bochran Branovich by Rebbechonin Wasserman, the Bochran came to Rebbechonin and they had tainas on his curriculum, because everybody else was learning what we call Yeshiva Shemesechdus, Noshim Nezikin. Rebbechonin started Brocha Shavas Erevin Psochim and he went down just like that. And everybody was making fun of the Branovich Bochran because they weren't Yeshivish enough. So they came to Rebbechonin and they told Rebbechonin, it says in the Gemara, that the Rebbe has to learn what the Talmidim want. And we want to learn Yeshiva Shemasechtas. And Rebbe Khanan told them, and the little Bochah Tuvia Goldstein was one of them then. He said, yeah, that's only if the Bochum know what they want. <laughs> but if the Bochum think they know what they want, and the Rosh Hashiva knows better, it doesn't apply. My father-in-law, Zatzal, was a Talmud by the Chafetz Chaim in Raden, where the Bochum made a revolution that instead of Rebbe Naftali Trop, who was promised job as Rosh Hashiva in Raden, the Bochum wanted Rebbe Sazam and Melsa. And my father-in-law, Zatzal, led the committee to the Chafetz Chaim that told the Chafetz Chaim, we're all going to leave unless Rabbi Sazalman becomes Rosh Hashiva. And the Chafetz Chaim said, have a good day. And the Yeshiva was in danger of closing, and the Chafetz Chaim said, there's nothing I can do about it. This is the right thing to do. We have empowered our, our children, and they know it. And it comes to the point where, and this is the epitome of it, this is the... This is the inevitable byproduct of the topsy-turvy Venahafaihu world where it's Pnei Hadorke Pnei HaKelev where they are really controlling us instead of us controlling them where a child can blackmail parents and this happens all the time either you buckle down to my rules or I'm leaving and you're gonna laugh but it happens very often children are having a difficult time and the child's is involved in, 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 in serious affairs. He comes home in the middle of the night. And what he does and where he goes and with whom, never mind. And the parents tell him, you have a curfew. And the parents tell him, we have rules. And the kid says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Unless you let me do what I want. And it happens. And then the parent calls the rub and the rub says, well listen, if you throw him out, will that help? No, and you don't throw him out. So he sits there, 
making his rules and nobody has any control. And it happens It's because we've empowered them. If you have any businessmen over here, you all know that in negotiations the bottom line is who has the upper hand to begin with. Whoever has the advantage in negotiations to begin with, he's 20 steps ahead. We want our children to stay home more than our children. With the, we want our children to be home with us more than our children want to be home with us. The children have the upper hand. Children nowadays don't need the family like they used to. They don't need the yeshivas. A 16-year-old can go out, spend eight weeks in a course, get his GED, and he can go out and go to college or go out and get a job, same high school diploma. Kids are asking, what do I need to go to school for? What do I need to stay home for? What do I have from my parents? I can go out and get a job. It's easy now for kids to get some silly job behind the counter or waitering, which is enough to support them today. And they have halaymas of going into the business world. They don't need the home anymore. They don't need it like they used to. What do they need it for? for hassles, for rules, because the parents want them to be there, fine. So, let's be fair, you want me to be home? So I'm going to be home now, you have to give me something. And that's the attitude they have. In yeshiva, Rosh Yeshiva, you want me in your yeshiva? You do something for me. You turn away for what I, to what, from what I'm doing. Otherwise I'll go to another yeshiva where they're more lenient, and they all have those yeshivas out there, and they're made for kids that can't survive in other yeshivas. And kids will go from yeshiva to yeshiva. Children need not only a home nowadays, but a spectacularly, emotionally stable and exciting home, without which we cannot stand, we don't stand a chance against what's going on out there. And let me explain to you now, the kids and Nimrits, these are the problems we're going to deal with tonight. And Nebuch, they are big problems. And now we're going to start a little on what to do about them. But first, I don't want to scare anybody, but I do not want anybody to poo-poo the problem either. So I'm going to tell you approximately how severe the problem is. I have an organization that I started a couple of years ago that deal with children that are having problems. It's Kirov, Ruchaikim, but from kids from, for kids from from families. In the last two years, I've dealt with approximately 200 kids in the Flatbush and Borough Park area who are no longer from at all, but come from very from homes. Very from homes means B'nai Torah. There are other levels below that, but that are still nothing to write home about. We have the kids that are constantly with one foot out the door, constantly getting thrown out of school. We have the kids that still wear the yarmulkes, usually in the middle of their heads, and frequent the pool halls and the pizza shops day and night. We have the girls who are in a way much bigger sakana, because a girl nowadays, a Jewish girl with the right hairdo looks just like a shiksa. Even if she's from, there's no yarmulke, there's no different hairstyle, and she goes around and she can mingle as if she was a shiksa, nobody knows the difference. And it happens, kids from, from families. 
kids that remain from, but they have one foot in that other world. From those I've dealt with about a hundred. And I want you to know I'm totally overwhelmed. The phone rings and it's, I, I can't deal with everybody anymore. I hung out something of a shingle and without much tremendous advertising or uh, public relations, the phone rings every day, a dozen new calls. Is it an epidemic? No. I'm not telling you that all your children, Rahman al-Islan, are going to run off tonight. But it's much worse than we think, and it's not just proportionate to a growing population of Kral Yisrael. Because not only do we have the population proportion to deal with, we have all these other negative influences to deal with. And on top of that, these things are growing. And it's a growing problem. And I have Menalim from yeshivas calling me, and I have Mashgichim calling me, and I have guidance counselors calling me, and we're just not dealing with it anymore. And we're just not prepared, something is wrong here. There are many more problematic factors. I never even started speaking yet about Shalom Bayis in the home, because my computer tells me that from all the problems that these kids have, if there's any common denominator between them, the most common denominator, 70% plus, come from homes where the Sholem bias is either strained or non-existent. And it's a Rashi and Chumash, it's a Chazal. By Eishas Yifas Toyar. Why is the Parsha of Yifas Toyar next to the Parsha of Ben Tzayr Moira? Because it says, you marry Yifas Toyar, it says, Soifal is Noiso, the Soifal Ahoyle Nimeinu Ben Tzayr Moira. So, what does it mean? It goes in stages. First, he comes to hate her because he married her. And then, because he hates her, it goes in stages. First, he hates her, and then comes the Ben Sayer. So, it's clear that the Ben Sayer comes from the fact that he hates her, from the Lisnoisa. I didn't even start talking about that. That'll be by a, a future shear. But these problems are bad enough. And this is something that everybody has to fight against. Let's try to figure out what to do. The first thing is that we have to understand when we think, what exactly do parents have over children that they control them? A discipline to beat them up. The Yodane. The fear of the parents. The years haroimamos. The kids are in awe of the parents. Maybe yes, maybe no. All this stuff isn't the factor. The factor, it says in a Sephardo and Parshas Bahaloischa, it says over here what it is that gets children to listen to their parents. I read it to you. It's in Perik Yud Aleph, Pasuk Yud Beis. Hine, Ha'av Yochai Lahanhe Yezbonov, Afal Pishahim Chilukei Hadeis. A father can lead his children even though they disagree in opinion. If they don't disagree, they don't need the father because the child does it on his own. But where there is a disagreement, the father can lead the child. And this is because all the children, everybody knows that the father loves the child. Now it doesn't say because the father does love the child. It says because they know that the father loves the child. There's a big difference. And the father will go out of their way. The father is doing everything he can to do good for the child. 
the way a father leads his child, and the same thing applies to mothers too, is because the child knows that the parent loves him or her. And it doesn't say that the, because the parent loves him or her. It says because the child knows, because everybody knows, and there's a big difference. And this is the biggest complaint that I find from the children. If there's a common denominator coming from them, it's this. My parents don't care about me. My parents don't love me. And we know it's a joke because all parents love their kids. More than the kids love the parents. So why in the world is it that this message is not being communicated to the kids? If this message is not being communicated, it's mafurish, you lost control, forget it. If your children think that Rahman al-Islam, you don't care about them and you don't love them, you've lost control. But you do love them, and all parents love them, and yet children sincerely think, and it's not an excuse, that the parents don't love them. I'll tell you what it is. There's a vart, there was a vart from Reb Nachman Breslev about the Misnagdim. When they came to Reb Nachman Breslev and they asked him, how is it possible that all these big tzaddikim are against you? How do you answer this? And Reb Nachman Breslev said, these Misnagdim, they have nothing against me. They have something against that person who they think I am. And he deserves it. It has nothing to do with me. That's what Reb Nachman said. In other words, you can't have a taina on anybody. You can't hate anybody unless you know who he is, unless you understand him. Otherwise, your sinner or your taina is being directed towards an imaginary person. And if the real person has sufficient amount of self-esteem, he won't relate to it at all. Like Reb Nachman. The same thing applies to love. The child feels that his parents don't understand him, and his parents don't know him, and he's a stranger in his own home, and this is what they do feel, then they are never going to be able to feel that their parents love them, because my parents, they don't love me, they love that imaginary kid who they think I am. Has nothing to, maybe he deserves it, and he's lucky, but that has nothing to do with me. When kids say, my parents don't love me, what it means is my parents don't understand me. My parents don't know who I am. I feel like a stranger in my own home, like when I was a little baby, somebody switched the little cribs, and the wrong one was I was brought to the wrong home. If a kid feels like a stranger in his own house, then forget it. He's not going to feel that his parents love him. And the parents are screaming, I love you, I love you, and the kid says, no, you don't. This is what the kid means. You don't love me, the love is there, but whoever it's directed at is not me. So the first thing, first and foremost, we have to understand our children. I, I, I have an article at home from the Yated Nehmon that was written by Rav Schwab Schlitter uh, a number of years ago. It's called On Being a Friend to Your Son. And Rav Schwab says over there that he heard from a Talmud Muvuk of the Avnei Neza. When he was in Baltimore, there was a big, big Talmud Chacham, Talmud Muvuk of the Avnei Neza who was there, who was a Rav. And Rav Schwab heard from him the following vart. He said that, Parents have to be friends to their children. Where does it say so? By Asimeni la'av lapara, Yosef says. Rashi says, av chaver. A father's a friend. And what's a friend? So he continues. The first time the word friend is mentioned in the Torah, it's regarding Chira. Chira re'ehu ha'adulami, regarding Yehuda. And the first time a concept is mentioned in the Torah, that establishes what that concept is. And that means, in our context, that a friend is the taich, somebody who's sufficiently close to you that you can confide in, even if you did an Avera. 
as in Yehuda and Chira. Therefore, using the transitive law of Torah Lomdis, if an Av is a Chaver, and a Chaver is somebody you can confide in on that level, what's a father? A father is somebody who a child can confide in, no matter what, even if he did an Avera. He should be able to come and tell the father, Father, this is what I did. That's a Madrega. And it's a Dover Pashat. Because if you don't know your son's milus and chesroinus, his pros and his cons, then you don't really understand him. If you don't really understand him, then he's gonna then you don't really love him. And if you don't really love him, you lost control. So first and foremost, we have to understand our children. Understand our children means as follows. Do you know your child's favorite color? Do you know who their best friend is in school? Do you know what they like, what they dislike? With their goals and aspirations on this? Well, I'm not talking about a 20-year-old child. I'm talking about a 12-year-old. 12, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She should be gesund and stark. She's a little lady. She's a little madamke. We know what our children are thinking. Do we know their likes and dislikes? If the answer is no, because either we don't have time, we don't have the interest, we don't think it's important, then we don't know our children. Can our children come to us and confide in us when they did something wrong? I took a survey once of a class of high school girls. And I asked, how many of you, if you did something wrong, would you go tell your parents? One out of 30 said yes. And all the other girls said, yeah, well, she doesn't do anything wrong anyway, so she doesn't know what it means. Which means we're batting a thousand. All the friends are going to know. Your children. And all the kids in school are going to know your children. But the parents are the last to find out, and I'm sure you all know what I mean. And that's the Siba of Sebas, why trouble starts. We have to make our children understand that they can confide in us. Sometimes a parent will say, well, at least they're ashamed of what they did. But it's not so. The child is not ashamed to tell the parent. The child is afraid. Fear isn't shame. It's no kunst to make your children afraid of you. If you halavai, you can make them ashamed of what they did, but that's not what you accomplish. You accomplish that they're afraid to tell you. That's not the same at all. That accomplishes nothing. Who is going to help the children out? Who's going to advise them how to get out of the rut that they fell into? How to feel about themselves after they do something wrong? If not the parents. And how are the parents going to do this if the kid can't? First things first. Listen to your children. The children have a lot to tell us. The world is a lot different from when we were kids. And I'm speaking like a man who's 90 years old. I'm not. The world is different from when I was a kid. Somebody who's grown up already. I'll give you an example. The worst sakana for kids are bad chevra. 90% of the kids that I dealt with got schlepped into something from some other kid. What is it that kids who b'nai tayra find from kids, boys and girls from good families, end up with this chevra? Just the other day, I was speaking to a yid, a very chosh of a rav, whose daughter's running around with a 17-year-old dropout, drug addict, uh, vagrant. This girl in two years could be 18 years old. She's pretty. They have money. Her father's, uh, they have yichas. She's bright. 
wonderful personality. She can have anything she wants. And now she's running around with this guy ruining her name. What is it? Well, there's something else about this drug addict, vagrant uh, dropout. He's a nice guy. You know what it is? Kids grow up and they look in the Haggadah and they see the four sons and they see the picture of the Chacham who's like a big, resembles, resembles like uh, the Satmarov. They see the picture of the Tom <laughs> and the Shani Yedeya And then they see the picture of a Russia. And he has horns and a big nose with a wart on it with hair growing out and he's chewing on his umsa, his piece of raw meat and he's just dripping with rishos. That's not what a Russia looks like. And you know what the problem with this is? The problem with this, and I'm, not, I'm just using the Haggadah of course as a marshal. The impression we give our kids of people who they shouldn't hang around with, people they shouldn't have to do with, our kids, they have horns. A drug addict, when we say drug addict, you know what kind of tone of voice we use? It's like when you see a drug addict walking down the street, you run the other way. Right? A drug addict. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. This particular drug addict wears a yarmulke, has nicely combed hair, comes from a nice home. Yes, he's out of yeshiva, he was thrown out of a number of them. And yes, he smokes pot. And the girl says, look, it's only pot. He's a nice guy. He never speaks bad about people. He has good meters. And didn't we learn in Beis Yaakov that Midas is the main thing from Frumkites? That if you're so Frum and you don't play ball on Shabbos and you wash Shemayim Achroinim all the time, but you have bad Midas, then it's all worth nothing. And don't we slap the picture of the Chafetz Chaim on the phone because Lashon Hara is the worst of all Averis. So here you have a guy, he doesn't speak Lashon Hara, he's a nice guy, he has nice Midas, and yes, he's also a victim. His parents are in, don't have Shalom Bayas. And he didn't grow up in a, in, in a secure, wholesome atmosphere. So he's a victim. And what is he doing so bad? Good, he was thrown out of school. But if you get to know him, you'll like him. That's the problem. We give our children the impression that unless a guy has horns and has, is drooling from the mouth, this is nishkeferloch. It's such a big toys. Kids come home with goyim. Lahav does not nagea to anybody here. But when the people who have problems with the intermarriage with their kids, it's the same thing. The girl comes home, he's a nice guy. Forget about intermarriage now. What does a Russia look like? And I'm not blaming this kid. Maybe it's not his fault. Maybe he had tremendous nisyoinness. But he has a spiritual disease that he may have contracted at no fault of his own. Let's put it that way. And it's catching. And we have to explain this to our children. And we have to explain, and no matter how difficult it is for us to do this, because we don't want our children to judge anybody, quote unquote, and we don't want them to look down at anybody, and we want them to have good midas, and we want them to respect all Jews, and and this is what they're throwing back at us. He's a Jew, and he needs help, and he needs kirov, and and I'm helping him in yeshiva, and I'm making sure he's doing well, and I'm, and, and, and I'm helping him. And I'm doing a great mitzvah by this. And he's not such a bad guy anyway. He just had some tough breaks. And he schleps the girl down with her. Tell your kids not to hang around in the hangouts. Right over here, I'll tell you where it is. On East 19th Street and Avenue P is the biggest hangout where these kids frequent. Primetime billiards. You know what? I was there. From a kid's point of view, it's not so terrible. 
we take a look and we, we tell them, don't hang around there, there's a hangout. As if there are people laying on the floor smoking drugs and you can't walk through the, the store, through the place from one, st- one corner to the other corner without being mugged a few times. It's a nice, air-conditioned, very clean place where people come, there are from people there, and I'm not saying that it's a good place. I'm telling you the impression that these kids get. They are from, there are Shiva guys there on dates sometimes. I don't know what yeshivas they go to, but there are obviously Shiva guys on dates. There are some Hasidish guys there, there are some Litvish guys there, there are some Puerto Ricans there, there are some black guys there, and most people, they're all minding their own business and everything, so it's, it's okay. It's Nishkefeluch in their minds. We tell them, but it's a hangout, it's this and then they look at us like we're from Mars. And the truth is, from their perspective, we are. We have to be able to explain, to forget, forget about the second part, the, the Re'iyah part. We're still holding by the Shmi'ah. We have to be able to explain to our children what to do and what not to do, where to go and where not to go. And we can't do that unless, A, we know what we're talking about, which very often we don't. If you tell this girl, this guy's a drug addict, he's a lowlife, I don't understand you, he's a bum, she'll look at you like you're crazy. Because all these adjectives are subjective, and from her point of view, he's a nice Balmidus who never had some hard times. And he smokes pot. Bottom line is, Lamaisa, you get to know him, he's a nice guy. It doesn't work. We have to explain to our children that, that, that lowlife bums are nice guys. They are Balimidas sometimes and they don't speak Lashon Hara and they'll do you a favor and they don't drool from the mouth and they don't have horns. There's a whole group of these kids, boys and girls, running around and they suck in innocent kids like nothing and every single kid gets sucked in because they're unprepared for this. If they saw uh, uh, another type of kid, and there are these type of kids too, with the chains and the, the, the leather jackets and the kids that beat up taxi drivers with baseball bats and not using that as a wild muscle, there's a kid that I know from a from family that has done that. Stay away. But that's not good enough anymore. If they walk into a pool hall and they're a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of dangerous people hanging around on the floor, smoking pot and spitting on the carpet. They'll stay away. But this is just as dangerous. And more dangerous because our kids are unprepared. We don't prepare our kids for what's going out on the street. What did Rav Hutna say? Prepare them for the Tumah. It's not enough to try to shield them from it. And the Tumah is no longer just the magazine in the grocery store on the corner. The Tumah is the next door neighbor sometimes. And the Tumah is the nice, clean place of leisure on the corner. And these places, the, the, what we explain to our kids, when we say, we do not give the bottom line picture of what they need to know to implement this in their lives. And without that, forget it, they're vulnerable. Again, nobody wants to tell their kids, judge people, be mad, be mean. But, so, but you got to do something because it's not working so the first thing you have to know Rabbi Sai, learn about who your kids are seeing where their friends are uh, what kind of friends they have the kids in the class in school no matter what school your kid goes to I don't care if it's Satmar or Beis Yaakov or, or, or anywhere in the world there are kids in that school who you don't want your children to associate with 
And I can't, I, of course, I won't mention any names, but I could point to every single school those kids that you don't want your children to associate with. Every single school that can schlep your kids into a black hole from which there is no escape. Before you tell your kids something, before you fly off the handle, know what you're talking about. Put yourself in their shoes. You know what? If the kid is going to tell you, well, it's not so terrible over there, go there. They look at us, were you ever there? Did you ever meet my friend, the drug addict? No, I never met him. It's enough to know that he smokes pot. That's good. So you can stay away from him, Tati. <laughs> For me, that's not enough. If you don't know what's going on, we can't explain anything to our kids. The first thing is know what's going on. And if you don't know yourself, if you can't, go find somebody that does. Understand what's motivating your kid. And then what happens is, one thing leads to another, and Avera Guerreras Avera. If you tell your kid, stay away from this guy, he's a bum, he's a lowlife, stay away from this place, it's crazy. This, the, 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 the kid looks at the far mother and says, would I, would I associate with a bum? I'm a good girl. I wouldn't do that. What do my parents think I am? This is what they think of me. And you know what the Pesach says in Kehelas? If I'm going to end up like the fool, why should I be a Chacham? In other words, if I'm going to do the crime, I'm, the time, I may as well do the crime. And if I'm going to be blamed for hanging out with low lives, and this is what my parents think of me, then that's what I am. To your kids, your kids need you. Parents have no time for the kids. That's also for another, another shear. You know what the problem with that is? Because parents don't have time for their kids. Kids get used to living without their parents' attentions. And therefore their need for their parents is diminished. And if the need for the parents is diminished, the emotional need, parents lost hold on them again. That's the first thing. You have to understand your kid. Because if you don't understand your kid, there's no way that you're going to have any control over him. Understand... Go where he, see what he does, go where he goes. Give him a fair chance when he tells you something. Have enough confidence in yourself that you will be able to answer him and explain to him what's wrong with what he's doing. And a fair, nonchalant, past the butter type voice. Okay? One more thing regarding understanding your children. You know, very often, in a Shalom bias issue, when there's a problem, more often than not, what seems to be the problem is really a cover for something deeper. They get into a big fight about the checking account, and he starts throwing pots at her, whatever, and we know really the problem is, is that she always leaves the cap off the toothpaste, and he always leaves the bathroom door open, and these things just be, make everybody irritable, and it comes out elsewhere. Adults can't always express what they really mean. So you did this and you did that, and we really mean, no, it means something else. Alachas kama these confused adolescents, they have no idea what's going through them, and we can't expect them to express themselves to us. And when they tell us something, very often what they're telling us has like a subtitle underneath, or a taich, or a pirish rashi, that means something else. The most classic example, a Pusuk in Mishlei, Lifnei Shever Go'in, it says. 
It means before uh, somebody, before someone gets shattered, he gets built up. It means Hashem builds the person up and then throws them down from very high up. There's another pshat. Lifnei means something else, like Tal lifnei miat It means standing in front of, in the face of. Lifnei shever. If somebody's broken inside and they have no self-confidence or self-esteem, in the face of shever, what do they do for themselves? Goin. They blow themselves up to make themselves feel good about themselves and if you see a kid out there and this is very important to know if you see a kid out there uh, a Yiddish speaking from family former Mayim Achroinim washing kid on his motorcycle with his leather jacket and it's not an exaggeration you'll find him in the denim jeans with all the chains and everything and with the boots with the metal and the leather and he's walking down the streets and you're so scared of him and he's walking down giving a message, I'm a scary guy. You know what it means inside? It means help. I'm petrified. I'm scared of something. That's Lifnei Shever Goin. Now, very often, children tell us things and they mean something else. I'll give you an example that happens by me. There was a girl, 17-year-old girl, that came to her father finally after a long time. She was a senior in high school and confessed to him, confided in him that she's been leading a double life since the 8th grade. A double life that had to do never with boys. Father got upset, he got angry, whatever. The girl just conveyed to the father two messages, not one. Number one, I've been leading a double life since 8th grade that has to do with boys. And number two... I feel so far away from you that I couldn't even let you in on something that was such a significant part of my life. Which one of those issues do you think is more important? The fact that the girl is so far away from her father that she can't tell him anything, or the fact that this girl has a boyfriend? And if that's the more important one, what should be dealt with first? What is the girl really trying to tell the father? What's the proper response for the father? The proper response for the father in such a case is that the father first of all has to pick up the Pirish Rashi in the message. I have a boyfriend, Pirish Rashi, I feel so far away from you. That's where you look, not in Pashat Zipshat. For the Tztukim, the Tztukim fathers can look in the text. We've got to look in the, in, in, in the Tyrus Emes of it. Response is, when the girl says this, the father says, I feel very bad that you felt you needed to hide this from me for five years. That opens up doors. If you, no matter what you say, if you deal with the boy issue first, that's going to close doors. I'm not saying not to be upset about the boy issue, but put that second on the list. Kids speak all the time in subtit- with subtitles with a Pirish Rashi. A Kalvachoyma from adults. Adults can't express themselves unless they're really poetic or they really have a good Koyach of Hasbara and they really understand themselves. Any Shalom bias finds you more often than not, it's like that. Can we expect more from our children? It's very important to listen very carefully to the subtitles in your child's messages and the way to be able to pick it up is this. Always ask yourself, why is my child telling this to me? A, what is he saying? That's the obvious question. And that everybody asks. What is he saying? And then you register that. But two, register this. Why is my child telling this to me? 
What does he want from me? What does he want me to do? Is he saying this to hurt me? Sometimes children do that. And then the response is, I, get, I may be wrong, I get the feeling but that you're saying this to hurt me. And it saddens me that you feel that you have to do this. Why is my child telling this to me? Is he telling this to me because he needs help? Is he telling this to me because he wants to give me a message that he feels far from me? Whatever, the main thing is, why is the child telling this to me? That's the easiest way to pick up the subtitle in what he's saying. Why is he saying this? And all of these things, all are part of the larger picture of knowing your children. That's the most important thing in the world, knowing them. When they speak, knowing what they say. Knowing why they want to say it. When they do something, knowing why they're doing it. That's very important. Usually the parents just, just send the kid to a therapist and have him or her figure the kid out. But it's not necessary. Why is my child... The principal calls, we found out that your daughter is running around with... Uh, whatever. Why? Ask yourself. And ask her, or ask him. Why is more important than the what? Because that's the cause. The what is just the effect. Usually when it comes to actions, everybody knows this. But when it comes to words and conversation, people usually forget this. Why is my child telling this to me? That's such an important question. Be a friend. You don't have to approve of everything they do. But at least understand it. Understand what they're doing. It doesn't mean you have to approve. Be ma- it doesn't mean you have to be masculine. But understand why they're doing it. Children, more than anything else, want to be understood. They need to be understood. And I hear it all the time. My parents don't understand me. My boyfriend understands me. My low-life girlfriend understands me. Whether it's a boy and a boy or a boy and a girl, whatever it is. Children want desperately to be understood. It doesn't mean you have to be masculine. It happens to me all the time. The kids I deal with, I tell them clearly. I say, listen, I have no braira. You know I'm from. You know I'm a rabbi. I, don't, I can't be masculine to what you do. They, they, they have no problem with that. As long as I understand why they're doing it. Parents very often don't understand why their kids are doing what they're doing. And that's the main thing to ask. We need also, in terms of learning with our children, it's very, very good to learn anything. And all Torah we know makes people more from. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanta said that if a person learns Shoshinogach as the halachas of what happens when an ox, uh, uh, when an ox gores a cow, a person speaks less Lashon Hara. And this is all true. However, what this means is, is that if a person learns the halachas of Esrog, it'll help him keep Pesach more, which is true. But there's no comparison between somebody that learns Hilchus Pesach before Pesach and somebody that learns Hilchus Esrig before Pesach. When we learn with our children, there is so much Torah that they need for their own personal growth that they will never get in Yeshiva, especially if you have girls. There is so much missing in the curriculum. Uh, Boys, not always. 
in the girls' schools always, there is so much missing in the curriculum that the children need for their spiritual success. Just touch on it because it's the topic of a future shear. It says in the Rambam that everybody in the world has the potential to be as big a tzaddik as Moshe Rabbeinu. Do you believe that? That you have a big tzaddik, the potential to be as big a tzaddik as Moshe Rabbeinu? Do you know that most kids make their decisions what to do with the rest of their lives during high school? And what they make, and regarding Frumkite, their decision is based usually on what I feel I'm cut out to be. Do I feel I'm cut out to be a big Rebetzin? Do I feel I'm cut out to be a big Rosh Hashiva? Do I feel I'm cut out to be a big Tzaddik? And they make their own Cheshboinus and their own calculations. And usually it's a wrong calculation. Kids feel, and this is the most Fakrumta Cheshbon that kids make and the most dangerous. They look at themselves inside and they see that they have a Yetzirah and they see that they like doing Averis and of course they do because they're human beings and they figure well there's no way that I'm cut out to be a really big Tzaddik really big Tzaddikim don't like doing the things that I like and really big Tzaddikim cut out of different material really big Tzaddikim are cut out of the same material that we are in fact, this isn't my vart. I was inspired. In, in Rav Hutner's Sefer, Pachad Yitzchak, in the letters, there's one letter in there that, in my humble opinion, is the nicest thing that I've read of all the really nice things that's in that Sefer. And it's a letter to a student. I don't know who the student is. It's really beautiful. And it's Moir it, de Mois. It makes you cry when you read it. And I hold it required reading for every boy and girl between the ages of 13 and 16. It's to some bocha that once upon a time aspired to be an Adam Godel. The bocha writes to the Rosh Hashiva that he sees his aspirations dashed to the floor and his idealism has been replaced with a realism. You know how it is when we grow up, when we're little kids, we all want to be the Pnei Yeshua. Then we would get old and we'd say, yeah, that's what you tell kids. But I'll be a Pasha Tabalabas, it's okay. That's, that syndrome was happening to this Bacha. And Rav Hutna says that your problem is the result of a Ro'ochoyla, he calls it, an evil sickness or a bad sickness among us. And that is this. He says, when we discuss our Gedolim, we discuss only their greatness. He says, you speak about the Chafetz Chaim, for instance, and we speak about the Chafetz Chaim, and everybody's so nishtaimim, we're amazed at the fact that he never spoke Lashon Hara. But it's not so. Do you know the Chafetz Chaim did speak Lashon Hara? You think the Chafetz Chaim was born the Chafetz Chaim? The Chafetz Chaim fought his Yetzirah, and he lost battles, and he lost and lost and lost, and kept fighting until he became the Chafetz Chaim. Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vakam. The Tzadik falls seven times, and then he gets up. Right? And just because you are you, and this is true for adults too, doesn't mean that you can't be much greater than you are. That's the mistake that kids make, and especially by the girls. You know why? Because the boys at least have their Rosh Hashivas, and their role models are in front of them, and they have a more personal perception of what these people are. The girls only know that there's a picture hanging on a wall, that some larger-than-life figure, which he may be larger than life, but they don't know anything about him personally. And it's a very big problem.
and kids make a wrong cheshbon. We have to teach kids who they can be, their potential, how to react and respond to your own actions. Uh, Gaiva is a wrong response to the mitzvahs that you do. Lack of self-esteem is a wrong response to the averus that you do. Everybody learns in school about how not to respond wrongly to the mitzvahs that you do. How we learn in Orchus Tzadikim and Gaiva is terrible and without Hashem we never would be able to do the mitzvahs. And this is all good. But the flip side of the coin is not there. And you can go to any school in the curriculums, it's not there. How to respond to the Averis that you do. You did an Aveir and you did ten Averis. What does that mean regarding you, your potential, your feelings about yourself and your future? Nobody knows and we leave the kids on their own. It's one example. It's so important because kids shuts up their own potential, that's what they decide about their future. When a kid goes down in Madrega, when a kid rebels against the yeshiva, very often what it means is the kid feels I'm not cracked up to be what they want me to be. Why am I not cracked up? They have their cheshboinus, but whatever cheshboinus they have, it's a sheker. But you know what? Such a simple little thing like this, nobody's going to do it. And I've put in the calls that it's, a, it's evil sickness among us. If he calls it an evil sickness, that means we have to do something about it. And he doesn't say that it's only, it's only uh, relegated to a few. It's, 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 it's rampant. It's a big problem. And it's a little thing, but there are a lot of little things like this. There's lots and lots of Torah that we have to teach our children that they're not learning. And they're not going to learn in school. And it's up to us to do it for them. I'm going to take questions now um, about either what I spoke about here or anything having to do with chinuch of teenagers. No, I'm saying, no, no, besides creating ways for them to think, it's not enough. We have to fight fire with fire. We have to give them uh, spectacular sensory excitement for Yiddishkeit. We have to overload them, and I'll tell you what I mean. There was a kid who, um, a lady came to me, it was a Chesidish lady, a social worker, a Satmo lady, it was very interesting, whose child was unsuccessful in yeshiva, and because he really felt not so good about himself, he got caught up in a bad crowd, in which he felt really good, because they, 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 they built him up, and he started being involved in things that he shouldn't be involved in. kid's name was Yoeli, which makes him maximum 14 years old. And the mother didn't know what to do with the kid. She, she did all the right moves. She was a social worker and she was good at what she did. And she explained to him and everything with guttons and it. The thing was, in Yeshiva, he really didn't feel... I told him this is what you do. He had a Rish Yeshiva. I forgot the Yeshiva. I would say it's because it's Mamish Mikzah Shavachai Shaloi Bufanov. The Rish Yeshiva really went out of his way for the Kirchsidish Yeshiva in Borough Park. I forgot the name of the Rish Yeshiva. 
I said, you make this kid a surprise Malach Malka. On a Matzah Shabbos, you call his Rebbe down to be guest speaker. You make a Yoyli day. And you show him that everybody appreciates him and everybody loves him. Not because you say, Yoyli, we appreciate you, we love you. You get the guest speaker there. And you get the kids in his class there. And you get everybody to plan this for a month. For no reason at all. Just an appreciation of this Yoyli. Kid walks in there to Matzah Shabbos, a what, 14 year old kid, and his Rebbe's there, and his class is there, and his friends are there, and his mother's there, and everybody's making his paid them Yoyli day. Yoyli day. Ayantif. It's not enough anymore to say, kid, I appreciate you. Ayantif. Smash him over the head. They gotta wake up. You know what it says in the Sefer Achinuch why we blow Shoifris by the Carbonus? He says, Carbonus is designed to do tshuva. He says, yeah, give a guy a carbon, do tshuva right away. He says, we've got to blow a shoifer and blow him up. The shoifer is the loudest. The chassoitzus, excuse me. He says, the chassoitzus, it's the loudest instrument. You blow the loudest instrument, you, you wake him up. That's a sensory input. That's what it is. You wake him up. Do something. You can't slap him in the face, although that would be good. The sensory input is good. You need a spiritual, positive, emotional slap in the face. We know Meshuga is Haruach, Pasuk in Hashaya. It's Meshuga. You have to go crazy for your kids. You have to show them that you're willing to go into fire for them. You have to show them that you're Meshuga for them. Not, yes, we appreciate you. Look what I do for you, and I buy you this, and I send you to school, and I work hard in order to help you. It's not enough anymore. That's all Shmir. They need Riyah. They need their minds to be blown because the Tumah is blowing their minds in all other ways. That also, they have to learn how to think too. But this also. Anybody else? Somebody told me that the ladies have little index cards to pass up. See? Oh my. Oh well. <laughs> I don't know if I'll have time for all of those. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm going to I'm, after after the shear is what time is my We'll break it about five two. At ten o'clock is my After my I'm going to be uh, staying around in case anybody has any questions that I can't get to. Where where, where did that uh, that encyclopedia go? <laughs> From the women's questions. They're passing it around. Okay. Okay. Fine. In the meantime, I have to. I just. In the meantime, we have uh, something that a lot of parents may not be aware of. I got a letter in the mail uh, in response to an article I had written in a magazine about parents and teenagers from a father that says he's a Talmud Chacham. Um, and he says that, why in the world do I have to tolerate anything that my kids do? He says, where does it say in Shulchan Aruch that a father has to suffer because of the kids? If I don't like what you're doing, out! Who says there's anything against the Torah? Now you'd be surprised. There are a lot of parents that have this attitude. Where does it say in Shulchan Aruch that a father has to be soivel? We know that it says on the contrary, the kid has to be soivel, has to tolerate what a father does. It's a Gemara that if a father takes the kid and slaps a, a coin out of his hands, the kid is not allowed, even if the father instigates, a kid is not allowed to retaliate disrespectfully. 
That says in the Gemara. But where does it say the opposite? Where does it say that a father at all has to tolerate anything a kid does? Maybe that's that's tire this father is saying. Dictatorship of a home? If you don't like it, you leave. I told him, you're right. I don't know anywhere in Shulchan Aruch, but we don't need it because it's Pasuk in Chumash. And we have Siyat Dishmai this week, it's this past week's Parsha. Those people that were driving Moshe Rabbeinu crazy because they wanted meat in the desert. They had mon, they wanted meat. It was mamish just pestering Fisavu Taiva. They had a Taiva to have a Taiva, it says in the Mephoshim. They had nothing better to do. The people in the Midwest, they wanted to stone Moshe Rabbeinu, there were times. So Moshe Rabbeinu turns his eyes up to Shemayim and he says, Vayim Moshe El Hashem. It said, what do you have against me? Did I give birth to them? What do you want from me? But it's clear in the Pasuk that if he would have given birth to them, he would have had to take it. It's clear, that's what he's saying. What do you want from me? I'm not their father, so, so I'm not m'chief to take this. If I was their father, they want to stone me, they're driving me crazy, they have unreasonable demands. Where am I going to get bosser for this nation? It doesn't matter. If I was their father, I'd have to take it. It's clear. Parents have a tremendous achrayis of savlonus. Tremendous achrayis. Look what it says. Tremendous achrayis of savlonus. It's a hard midah to acquire, and by the time we're fathers of adolescence, we're very often out of yeshiva, and the mashkiach doesn't say shmuzin anymore. So those shmuzin that we need as adults, we usually do not get. But this is a midah that adults need. Savlonus for the kids. Who on one hand, it's a big nesayin, on one hand, the kid is not allowed to be disrespectful even if we instigate. On the other hand, we have to be civil any disrespect doesn't mean we have to prove, doesn't mean we can't discipline. But to be civil any disrespect, that's what we have to do. Because that's in the interest of our children. Just like the discipline is in their interest, the savlonus is in their interest as well. Do we have the papers? Okay. Somebody please pass them up. Five to a ten to. What should I do? I have thirty-eight now. I have uh, thirty-eight. Fine. Is it possible to understand and know thoroughly every child if a child comes from a large family of eight or nine children? It's not possible to thoroughly understand and know every child, even if a child comes from a small family of one children. But eight or nine does make it harder. Far be it from me to tell you that the uh, disadvantages of a family of eight or nine children outweigh the advantages. I can't say that. It does make it harder. Is it possible? We have to do the best we can. Um, I do know that it's unfair to the children in a family of eight or nine children if because they're in a large family, they suffer. It's an extra nesoyin for parents of large families to do this. But you know what? Somebody with eight or nine children, that you, you always get out what you put in. And sometimes Hashem makes bigger demands on us. And we know that Hashem won't make a demand on us unless we can do it. Which means that Hashem has told us 
through the way that he tells us things nowadays that you can do it. It takes a lot of work, but and I'll tell them I'm not even old enough to have eight or nine children. But it takes a lot of hard work, but you have to try your best to do it. And the motivation is maybe when it gets hard and it gets difficult and you see the eight or nine children, just realize that you get eight or nine times the amount of nachas that somebody else does when they only put their kaychas into one child. And that's a prize worth fighting for. I do not understand what you mean when you say schools do not respond to children's averis. Schools do respond to the averis. That's why we have so many kids kicked out of school. What I meant was... What I meant was was that if you ask the average student, and I know because I've done it, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I teach boys, I teach girls on a high school level, I've done it. If you ask the children, if you do a lot of mitzvahs, there's a proper way to feel about yourself and an improper way. Which is which? They'll tell you, well, you're not supposed to be Balgaiva, you're supposed to be an Anav, etc. If you ask them, well, you do a lot of Averis, there's a proper way and an improper way to respond, which is which? Best case scenario, they'll say, well, if you do a lot of Averis, you're not supposed to give up, you're supposed to continue, whatever. But what does it say about you? You know what the proper response is? The proper response is, Rav Hutner writes, Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vakom, the Tzadik falls down and seven times he gets up. He says, there's a foolish pshat and a wise pshat. He says, the foolish pshat is, despite the seven times he falls, he nevertheless gets up. He says, the wise pshat is, the getting up of the Tzadik is because of his seven falls. If you, make, if you give yourself lemons, you've got to make lemonade out of it. Every time a kid does an Aveira, every time a kid falls, that means if they get up and try harder, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them that much more Siyata Dishmaya. And they're going to fall seven times, and they have to know that. And they have to know that the eighth time when they get up, and it's Lav Dafka eight, because I know some kids are going to count if we say it in this way, that if they get up the final time, then they're going to have a victory. And every time they fall, that's part of the larger victory. That's the answer. And you try it, you ask your kids, and none of them are going to have anything close to that. And it's so important for them to do that because kids tend to pay more attention to their Averis than to their mitzvahs because they feel better when they do the Averis. Why do you feel girls are not needed in Beis Yaakov when boys are in yeshivas? Boys who are not intellectually inclined have no place for Success, but in Beis Yaakov there are various activities to reach and build up girls. It seems to me we are producing much better caliber girls than a handful of success with the Bachrim. This is evident on the Shidduch scene. I never meant to say that the boys are being put out better than girls. There are Milas and Chasroinus to the Yeshivas, to the Beis Yaakov. I'm not even a person with enough authority to, to judge the Yeshivas at all. But among the various ingredients of advantages and disadvantages in the schools, and you wrote an advantage in the girls' schools, that they have chesed things. Now it happens to me that the halach is that the boys aren't supposed to be involved in that. They're supposed to be learning. Like it says, when the Beis HaMikdash is going to be built, we don't take the kids out of Yeshiva even to build the Beis HaMikdash. And the Rosh Hashivas know this, and they're following the, the, the Torah when they, when they do this. So it's not really fair to compare. However, I never meant to make a blanket statement and a judgment about these 
so that type of schools. I just said that one of the many millions of ingredients of Miles and Chesreinus in the Beis Yaakov schools is, is that the, the fact that boys have Rosh Hashivas and that the role models are sitting there for them to be in contact with every day is a much greater advantage than when the role models are just pictures to you and they're your brother's Rosh Hashivas. It's one's a cliche and one's a clerician. Does that mean, whoa, that uh, we're putting out better boys than girls? I never meant to say that. What do we do about a 15-year-old boy who smokes? He has to keep his mouth busy, <laughs> either smoking or eating. He finds himself restless and yet is doing well in school. Um, it's to me privately about that because I don't have enough information. However, if he's sufficiently restless and yet is doing well in school, there may be... Uh, a lot of kids nowadays have something, and I, I can't make a diagnosis out of this. I can't even make, uh, I, I can't even claim to make a diagnosis uh, secondhand, no matter what information I have. But uh, as long as we have this question, I may as well take advantage of it to say that very often uh, children have a syndrome. It's called attention deficiency disorder, ADD. It's called. That's very often not diagnosed or misdiagnosed. In the olden days, it was called hyperactivity. Uh, they changed that name. What it means is that kids have no zitzflesh, but it's not their fault. It's a type of uh, chemical, physical, psychological, emotional personality disorder in which they, they, they have short attention spans, they, they don't have zitzflesh, and there are places that diagnose it. Um, there's a special organization called JAD Jewish ADD uh, over there on Avenue M in the green and white building, was it between 14th and 15th I think it is. Um, there's a woman named Ann Julian who runs the organization. Uh, if you're your son is in school, the principal or the manal of the school certainly is aware of the possibility and that is something that should be considered. There could be a lot of other things, but this is something that's very often ignored and there's nothing to do with it except medicine. There's medicine, there's something called Ritalin that could uh, have a very positive effect. And if that's the case, then nothing else is going to help. Are you, gonna, are you going to tell us what to teach a child how to respond to himself after he has done an Avera? Yes, but not tonight. I definitely will. Um, if you want a preview, I really would advise, I really would, that's really beautiful anyway. If you have something to do by the Shabbos table, get a hold of that Sefer, that Pachad Yitzchak from Rafutna, and read that letter a hundred times over to yourself. It's really, really pretty. I forgot the exact number. You ask any Chaim Berlin, I'm sure they'll find a few. And uh, there are other things too. Uh, basically, the idea is this that Hashem's expectations of us far exceed uh, our own perceptions of our potential. Like I said, it says in Rambam that everybody has the potential to be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. Now that's scary, because how many of us really believe that? In Shemayim, you know, there was a, there was a big old in the Tziv, the Rosh Hashiva of Velozhin, of Rebbe Naftali Tzvi, who's of Berlin, and he once had a plan in life to become a carpenter. He chucked it instead became the Rosh Hashiva of Velozhin. And he said the reason is because if he would have become a, become a carpenter, and he goes up to Shemaim after he dies, Hashem would pull out from under the Kisei HaKovet a copy of the Sefer, Eimek HaNetziv, the Netziv Sefer on Chumash. Open up to the title play page and see Eimek HaNetziv, written by Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. And Hashem would ask me, why didn't you write this? And that's an embarrassing moment, so he decided he'd better get writing. Hashem has videos of our lives that 
never take place up in Shemayim things that we could have done and things that we could have been and if the Ramban says that we have the ability to be a great tzaddik as Moshe Rabbeinu we can just imagine what kind of, that in our furthest fantasies we'll have no idea what those videos are going to look like until Nebuch we get up to Shemayim and what has to be done is is that everybody has to realize what their potential is and even if we don't reach our potential we at least have to realize what it is and try for it. Um, the response to our Averis, Bekitzer, Bekitzer, Nimrits. This is not, I'm not telling you now how, I'm not telling you now why, but I'm just telling you the what, is that no matter how many Averis we do, we do, no matter what we do, we still have to strive for that perfection, or that near perfection, that potential that we have. And the fact that we do the Averis by no means at all affects our potential. Not at all. It doesn't affect anything uh, in terms of our future. That's what kids have to know. Kids feel, sometimes, somehow kids feel, teenagers, that um, if they're 16, 17 years old, and let's say they may have ruined their name through something, they may have ruined their reputation, they may have failed in school, that's it, my life is over. Now I look at them, your life is over, you're a little kid, you're nothing, your life's just starting. But they don't look at it that way somebody 30 or 40 or 50 looks at their life the same way but a kid 16, 17 looks at my life is over it's over they have to understand no matter what they do their life is just starting no matter how old you are it's a good lesson but your life is just starting and the response to yourself when you do an Aveira is um, it depends sometimes the responses ignore it and this is not my vote it sounds like uh, something you wouldn't hear in Yeshiva it's the Satmar Rav's vote and the Pasuk in his Perish on Tehillim, in the Pasuk Chatosai Lenegdi Tomid, he points out that Tomid in, in Hebrew doesn't mean, all, it doesn't always mean constantly. Uh, it could mean forever, but from time to time, like the Ner Tomid in the Beis HaMikdash. Rashi says, excuse me, by the Carbon Tomid, Rashi says that everyone, occasionally, forever is called Tomid. So he says, on Erev Yom Kippur, maybe Erev Rosh Chodesh, whatever it is, we have times designated for us to think about our Averis, but otherwise we're not supposed to think about them, because that brings Ta'atzvus and that does us no good. You do something, you get up the next day, the Yetzirah knocks you down, smashes you on the floor, the response is you wake up, shake your head, and go back into the ring. Now how explain to a kid to do that and what it means so that's the subject of another one of the shirim but that, that ha- that's the goal the goal is to teach a kid that no matter what you do, no matter how bad you mess up it doesn't matter you can still be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu anything else? yes uh, okay, uh, illustrate some more within the allotted time that I have um, about how to combat the uh, sensory input that the kids are getting in the streets. Kids have to feel at home that the Torah uh, is not just an intellectual exercise. They have to feel that the Torah is part of their lives. Now, they have to feel that uh, even though it's Kaveit and Latayr is important, but it's not just something that you do and then put away. It's not an activity from school. I once heard from Rabbi Gedal Yeshua, the Rashiv of Tarvadas, Apshat in the Gemara. The Gemara says, uh, If a person learns 101 times, 
a person reviews 101 times his learning, it's greater than 100 times. Gedal Yishua said like this, he said, who in the world, when he starts learning, makes up by himself, I'm going to learn this 101 times? There's no such thing. But very often a person at the beginning sets out to learn, says, I'm going to learn this 100 times. He says, that's the difference. If your learning is a plan, if it's a, a budget of your time, if it's a budget of your energy, it's not good. 101 means you learned it until you knew it, until you got tired, until you, you, until you couldn't learn it anymore. Because there's no other reason why a person would learn 101. 101 is not an even number. An even type of learning is not the same as a non-even type of learning. The Kutzke Rebbe once said, when somebody came to the Kutzke Rebbe, and he says, by us, I forgot the exact details of the vote. It went something like this. He says, by us, he told the Kutzke Rebbe, uh, every Monday and Thursday, the Chassidim sit up a whole night saying Tehillim. And every Tuesday and Wednesday, they, they learn one blot of Gemara, let's say. And then they learn five Psukim and Chumash, and they review all their learning three times. And the Kutzke Rebbe said by us, they say Tehillim whenever they, whenever they know of somebody that needs Tehillim said for him. They review their learning until they know it. Uh, they chazer their Psukim whenever they have extra time. In other words, it's part of your life. Um, what we do, we tend to budget our time and when we make our schedules and, and, and our time and money, we tend to set aside time for this, time for that, and the rest of the time is for me. The learning is in that last category. And the best way to teach kids is through example. You know what I'm saying? The best way to teach kids is through example. Kaviyah sitzim l'tayri is a chiv, it's an obligation, there's no question about it. But I'm talking more of an attitude than uh, an amount of time. If a child sees that the attitude of the father is, is that tayri is, is, is the main thing in my life, you know, then, then the kids have, a different, kids have a different attitude. The Rambam says that when a person has to do a mitzvah, he should do a mitzvah he returns to his learning. And the Briskarov says, what's the Chiddush he should return to his learning? Well, then is he supposed to do? So he said, it's a difference in attitude when a person goes to do a mitzvah. Sometimes, even, even a mitzvah, he's saying, is, is the Chiddush. But certainly when a guy goes to work, whatever a person does, he should look at it that it's temporary. This is an annoyance. This is something that has to be taken care of so that I can come home and, and, and run my life. My life is tired and mitzvahs. The When a person goes out, he should go out in mind that the whole goal is to get this done as quickly as possible. Learning has to be natural, has to be light, it has to be your life, not just uh, oil in a master that a person does. That's just one little thing. Now, um, you want? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, as soon as my in a couple of minutes, and I'm going to be. Yeah, I'm going to come back here in case anybody has anything they want to speak about. Uh, especially this person who I said should see me in private. After my I'll, I'll still be here. Now, uh, Mr. Alper, my friend, has uh, an announcement or two. Thank you very, very much for coming. You were a wonderful audience. Um, I hope I was able to um, tell you something, and uh, have a good night. Thank you. Uh, if you're interested in more about what the rabbi spoke about, first, the series will continue this coming Sunday at Rabbi Eliezer Ginsburg's shul. The address is on the door over here on the poster as you exit. The rabbi says he'll speak about self-esteem on this coming Sunday. 
Uh, there's a clipboard by the ladies. There's a clipboard on the, st- on the stender behind the men. If you want to leave us your name, address, and phone number for more information on what the rabbi spoke about, then we'll get in touch with you. The list will be kept confidential, Blinator. There's also a box by the shtender. If you could help us defray some of the costs for the shiram, we would appreciate $3 or more if you could afford it. And last but not least, the, the men will dive in at 10 o'clock if the ladies will allow the men to go down the staircase first. Thank you so much.